What's up, Textual Healing? I'm your host, Mallory Smart, drinking Goonies coffee, eating Frosted Flakes, and am excited to welcome you back to another episode full of lit music, hype literature, and all other sorts of weirdness. To catch you up, Og Stone did last week's off-the-record episode, where he blew our minds with an excellent excerpt from his book, The Ballad of Buttery Cake Ass, and introduced me, and hopefully you, to a really bustin' band that should be way more popular than they are, David Devant and his, and his spirit wife. So it shouldn't shock the hell out of you that he is the guest on today's episode. He actually explains the title of the book, which is actually genius, attempts to decide what the most polarizing band he likes is, tells us a little bit more of the literature he likes, what the behind the scenes of writing this book is, and we bond over a lot of other strange things. I hope you bond with us and our weirdness in this quirky episode. Here's Augstone. Uh, I'm Augstone. Um, I make music and I write and I do live comedy. Well, I used to do live comedy when before the pandemic, I hadn't gotten that going again. But um, yeah, that was my big thing. I was doing a thing called Young Southpaw, which is kind of absurdist stories, taking in music and pop culture. I've written a couple books um, that have to do with kind of insane quests, <laughs> usually musically related. Uh, and I used to play in a couple bands called, one was called H-Bird, which was kind of saint Etienne, you know, 80s synth pop meets 60s girl groups. Another was called The Soft Ooh. Close-Ups, which is, we often got compared to The Smiths, which was awesome. And currently, uh, Sean Drinkwater from Freeze Pop and I have started a new project called Fox Machine with two X's. And I'm really excited about this, um, sounding very New Order, Depeche mode and yeah, I'm psyched, hopefully we'll be releasing something soon. I think the minute you release any of this and your old stuff, I would very much, yeah, send me some links. Will do. <laughs> like, this sounds great. I was actually so intrigued. Um, I've been on your website for a while because I was just like, let's get to know this guy, <laughs> even though I've been doing that for a while. <laughs> I've been researching you. You know, kind of like how an ex-girlfriend does after they break up with someone and be like, what did he do? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I was curious, like, how do you balance all those titles? Like, musician, writer, comedian, like, do they all play into each other? Kind of, now. Yeah, I mean, um, the Southpaw stuff is very music-heavy, and I, I don't make funny music. I've never really... That's never really been my thing, but, I mean... The stuff I write about and make jokes about all have to do with like bands I love or just ridiculous musical knowledge that I have for some reason <laughs> that is just stuck in my brain over the years. What is, oh wow, I was just going to like put you on like that hot seat and be like, what is the most ridiculous like musical knowledge fun fact you can give us? And I was just like, you know, what? I hate it when people ask me that shit. Well, I've been rehearsing the talk for the book tour coming up and I was talking about the first show I ever saw, which was. David Lee Roth's solo tour, uh, his first ever solo tour for Eat Him and Smile. Like, I loved Van Halen, like, growing up. They were the first band that I th ever thought was mine. And when the 1984 tour was coming to Connecticut, my older cousin called my mom up and begged her to let me go to the show with them. And she was like, absolutely not. He's eight years old, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> made perfect sense. But then two years later, uh, David Lee Roth went solo and she let me go with my older cousins and it was this life-changing event and it was October 3rd 1986 
and that's Tommy Lee from Motley Crue's birthday. And like, I don't know, like when I've been telling this story, like rehearsing what I'm going to say on the tour, that always comes up. I feel the need to share, though, you know, it's not relevant at all. But this is the stuff that just comes through my mind. <laughs> is this like where like the absurdity that you discuss comes from, where it's just like, where, what is he going for? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, how absurd do you get? Like, I, stretch it out for me. Um, well, there's a one of my favorite Southpaw stories, and there's like 63 stories up on the podcast currently, um, is about that what if Gilligan's Island had been a musical? And instead of Bob Denver, you had John Denver, and you could get Jerry Hallowell, Ginger Spice to play Ginger. <laughs> And Professor Griff from Public Enemy <laughs> as the professor. And of course, for Thurston Howell III, get Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth. <laughs> and this stretches into like a 20-minute story about how um, <laughs> this would all go on. So yeah, that, that gives a pretty indication of how absurd it gets. That just sounds epic. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now I just have to figure out what Ginger Spice has been doing this entire time. Yeah, I know. I mean, I lost track of her a while back. She did a cover of It's Raining Men. I, did she really? I had the CD single, like, late 90s, I think, like, more than 20 years ago. I always found her to be, like, the least important person wow. in the Spice Girls. <laughs> wow. Oh, where did you find it? Like, what, what was your ranking? I always, for some reason, I liked... Mel C when they uh, when they first started and I'm not a sporty guy at all um, you know as in sports but I'm right there with you yeah but um, Baby Spice Emma Bunton like her second solo album is fantastic um, Free Me it's got a, a bunch of hits on it I love it mm-hmm. so she is definitely number one for me um, and then I guess uh, Ginger and then the two Mel's would be in the middle and then you know Posh is at the bottom I've never really oh. much cared for Posh I don't really know why, Fucking but she... David Beckham, just hit him while he's down. <laughs> no offense to David Beckham. <laughs> don't come at me, Beckham. He, he, he would kick you. Yeah, he, he would kick the shit out of you. <laughs> I mean, quite rightly, you know. I've just insulted his wife. <laughs> no, but he, I always thought she was a good singer. Whenever they like kind of isolate her vocals, she's actually a pretty good uh, husky voice from what I recall. I haven't listened to the Spice Girls since I was a little kid in my parents' bedroom. So, like, in my bedroom at my parents' house. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. I am... Um, Not in my parents' bedroom. I cut class when, that, when Spice World came out to go see it at the Alston Cinema in Boston, Massachusetts. So... Okay, is that I think important we need to establish ages right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you? I, I am 46. I was 21 when that came out. <laughs> God, how immature are you? I was at least a little kid. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and how old are you? <laughs> I'm 32. Okay. <laughs> I, I had more of a weird reason to be psyched because, you know, corporate America was like, this is what feminism is. Do it. Yeah, that was weird. Girl power. But I remember exactly where I was. I mean, it, like. God, I was going to say like the JFK assassination, which is a horrible thing to say, but I remember exactly where I was when I first heard the Spice Girls. I was at the White Horse Tavern in Alston, Massachusetts. It would have been like July 1997, I guess, playing darts with my friends. And like uh, there was a DJ there. And for some reason, he put on Wannabe and everybody started going nuts. 
<laughs> and actually, if 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 we were in Boston right now, and I was showing you like the Augstone tour of Boston, Massachusetts, that would be one of the places we would have to stop for that very reason. <laughs> like a friend of mine okay, came from I'm England. I'm going to go to Boston, and I'm going to go and demand that of you. <laughs> it's like that, and uh, you know, a couple of music venues, and that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> You know what's so funny is immediately, because I would say that we're both millennials in that regard. Oh, well, thank it's you. Like, <laughs> you're like an elder. Yeah. <laughs> if we're playing one of those weird games, like you're the one that like you sidetrack to and you give the weird advice. <laughs> I don't play computer shit. I don't know. <laughs> but like, you know, what you did say like with the JFK thing, I was going to be like, you know, that's the millennial thing is we ask like, where exactly were you when 9-11 happened? And that's like immediately like went through my mind. But when you said Spice Girls, like I immediately was like, where the fuck was I? (laughs) And I do. I do remember um, I was hanging in my brother's bedroom and he was the Spice Girls fan. Wow. And uh, he was the one who's just like, you've got to listen to this. It's going to empower you. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Were you empowered? No. 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 (laughs) I was just like, it's got a good beat though. I, I like Mel, Mel C. She's great. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it was all about Mel C at the beginning. Yeah, she really had some good moves, mm. too. And I also love the fact that, like, you never really knew the, like, Sig Sig Sa bit yeah. in Wannabe. Because, you know, we didn't have the lyrics available to us then, so we had to just, like, make guesses. And it was, and someone else has pointed this out before on one of those, like, uh, you know, 90s, VH1 specials or whatever, but I remember, you know, I'm saying it was like this real, supposed to be a feminist anthem, <laughs> but then like when it gets to the crux of the matter, it's, you know, zig zig which, you know, <laughs> didn't really, really say much at all. It's not even a word. I mean, I'm trying to figure out like what, like I'm looking up the lyrics right now to be like, is it zig zig Like, what is it? want to zig zig ah what the hell is that <laughs> they got paid millions of you know, dollars to sing that you know <laughs> the writers you're the... older though so like were you driving around like singing that song and just having to like make a guess at that lyric and just be like zig zig ah i, I remember some conversations down? like trying to figure out what it was um that came to nothing i mean they're usually quite drunken conversations <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can't remember driving around to the Spice Girls. I mean, oh, did you not have one of those cars that had the CD track? Oh, I d- this is how old we oh, are. Oh, I loved my. I got my car because it was green and it had a good sound system. <laughs> That's all I really you know. Say about. Green. Yeah. I think Meet the Parents, where it's just like they say only geniuses pick green. Oh wow! <laughs> and then it's like. But you didn't pick it. <laughs> but actually, the, my, our road trip to Chicago, my friend was driving a Nissan Maxima, and he had an awesome sound system in there. And then when I was getting a car after that, I was like, I want a green Maxima because it has that, that sound system. So that was like a hugely inspirational road trip for that. But I, I would, um, oh, I'm trying to think. I didn't, I didn't have, I mean, I had both Spice Girls CDs at the time, but I don't think, I don't remember listening to them in the car. I remember a cassette of Madonna's Immaculate Collection being in the car, though, for quite some time. I miss cassettes. I mean, you know, they're solely, like, for some reason, like, some niche item that they sell at, like, Urban Outfitters. I'm not sure what they're doing with those, because I don't actually see the cassette players. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, so it's like, I don't know what the kids know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but like people go nuts for them. I am um, maybe like 10 years ago or so I was cleaning out like stuff that was at my parents' house and in the closet in my old room was this huge cardboard box of about 250 cassettes. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to, no one's going to buy these. And I, my friend Jim, um, has like an eBay store. That's like all he does. He sells like, you know, shirts and music and all that. I just took the box over to his house. I was like, would you give me 20 bucks for this? And like, it was a completely straight face. He just went, sure. Took his wallet out, handed me a $20 bill. And then like a couple weeks later, I go over to Jim's house and he's got like all the cassettes in like bundles all around the room. And I notice he's selling just eight of them together for $40 to someone in Switzerland. But I mean, you know, <laughs> I, you got I, fucked. I could not have known at the time. And he had just had a daughter, so, you know, it helped with the bills he had to pay. Yeah, that was your contribution. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a bunch of old cassettes that I've been listening to in 20 years. That is like the best gift you could give anybody. Here's a lot of outdated technology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mazel tov on your child. <laughs> I was just, I remember this the other night, though, about that same car. Um, for some reason, I ended up found a documentary on the exploited the punk band uh, on youtube and the documentary was from like 1995 so it's missing a whole lot of their later years kind of like that when i was in eighth grade i drew like their skull with the mohawk on like all my book covers and i had left their horror epics cassette like in the back of my car in the sun and it melted the plastic case into like the coolest like little sculpture i've ever seen I would, Please tell me you kept it. I, I'm hoping it wasn't in that box. <laughs> I'm going to have to go. How, I don't know how I would ever find that. I mean, this was many, many years ago. You have to hold on to mementos like that. I know. I mean, it's a gift from nature, you know. <laughs> I had a storage locker for years now, and I don't know why, but like we finally cleaned it out like two weeks ago. I found so many cassettes. And, like, every single time I'm like, what am I going to do with it? I'm not going to listen to it. But I was like, memorabilia. I can't throw it away. Because a lot of them, like, you know, you did your own cool mixes. You know, like how you would do, like, burning CDs, which is very hard to explain to younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved making mixtapes. I still have all my old handwritten notes for every mixtape I ever made a girl. Like, did you ever do, like, the cool covers that you made on your own, too? No, but No. <laughs> Okay, I'd take points away from you if you just gave me some like random tape but no cool cover. Really, even if the handwriting was really nice and like different colors for the song and the artist and a very awesome title on the side and titles for both sides of the cassette on the sticker. Okay, I would take that, yeah. They were always, you know, quite, there was a lot went into these. So like as long as there's like some good effort, yeah, as long as you just don't be like, these are the names of the songs. Oh no, we would have a lot of conversation after you listen to it too. <laughs> I'm just imagining you as the guy who just like leave it by someone's locker. <laughs> no, no, I never actually did that, but you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I did once make a girl uh, six mixtapes in the span of like four months. Please tell me you actually dated her. Nope. <laughs> we kissed a couple times, but that was it. Hey, it wasn't a total loss. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it would have been really cool if it was two, one of the mixtapes, too. It was no? actually. 
Oh, and yeah. actually, I had put a band on it that I later joined, which was kind of weird but cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty badass. <laughs> I, I'm definitely like, you're reminding me of like some high school people I know. There's always like that cliche. I'm not trying to say like Breakfast Club cliche, but yeah. I, I can vibe who you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one was I? <laughs> of oh, the Breakfast Club. Uh, you, you're definitely. Uh, oh my God! Why did I forget their names suddenly? Whoa! I need to look up their names. Like I had it for like a second there. <laughs> Don't you hate that? I do. I do. <laughs> Where it's just like I have all their names, and you're like, "Who am I?" I'm just like, "No." <laughs> But uh, no, I I kind of see you as the bender kind of guy. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> much cooler than I actually am. <laughs> I have a lot of people where I'm just like, you're totally bender, and then they're like, no, I, I actually was Emilio Estevez. I'm like, mm, okay. I did make a redhead um, a mix once, mix CD because this was later years. And I wasn't quite sure how I felt about her at the time. And I didn't want to come on too strong. And she lived up in Boston. I was back in Connecticut. And I was driving up to visit her. And I was going to give her this CD I had made. And I noticed one of the songs just kept saying love. And I was like, no, I, I can't have this. <laughs> like, I, don't want to, I really don't want to give her the wrong impression. I like her. But, you know, I don't want it to get messy. So I don't want to go that intense. No, so I, no, no. You know, it seemed reasonable that I would then before I picked her up, I went to a friend of mine's house, ripped the CD in his computer and then burned it again without the offending track and wrote out again all the track listings without the song listed. Now, that's good. That's good. Improv- improvisation. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So let's get to your book. Oh yeah, it's awesome. That. Yeah, we're. Ta- I mean, we did a good job with music, and we're gonna keep going for it. Especially, you know, given the cover of this book. I mean, you can't avoid it. Mm. Which who designed it again? As a Dutch artist named Hanko Kolk, uh, K O L K. I love his work. Um, I discovered him about ten years ago. I went to the Angoulême Comics Festival in France, and uh, there's a whole the thing which. Um, the Nederlanders are here. They had like all the Dutch contingent had like posted up these posters all over the town with their drawings and Honkos were just amazing. And then I Ooh. met him um, and I've interviewed him a couple times and we kept in touch and I was so psyched he agreed to do this. He has great musical taste too. Um, you get him on the show then? Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Um, he does a, a daily strip in Holland called Single, um, which became a TV show and he has a bunch of books um, about this fictional, well, it's called Meccano, which is kind of, you know, a twist of Monaco about a place where, like, the super rich just, you know, do their awful things <laughs> to the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, it was, You'll make our introduction. <laughs> uh, but I, I told Hanko that, you know, I, the band rehearsed in a record store, but that I didn't want any of the records on display to be real records. I think he came up with a really cool... Um, you know, he made up fake album covers for, you know, it's supposed to be the early 80s. And I think he did a great job of, you know, getting that going. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say I am looking at some of the fake records right now. One looks like a dinosaur, maybe. Okay. I, I feel like this could be like a therapy 
moment right <laughs> oh, <geez>. now. <laughs> Where it's like, what does it look like to you? Be like, <laughs> yeah, totally. It is. I just see the one where it looks like a guy at a talk show. Oh, on the far right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but no, it's really great. Is it supposed to be a record at the bottom, like right next to the amp? Yeah, leaning up against the stand. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wasn't totally sure on that one. I can't tell if that's a V or a heart. A V or a heart? Yeah, I'm like really getting into this. <laughs> this is good. Like, I'm just like, audience, really buy this book so you can interpret it with us along with the show. <laughs> I should start my own podcast with you. <laughs> this therapy idea. I know. Like, what does this, what mean, does this to mean to you? <laughs> but, okay, uh, of, are you a drummer? What do you play? I play guitar. So why is it drums? Like, why don't you throw your own instrument in this? Uh, well, I just told Honko I wanted the, um, you know, a band, a rehearsal room type setup. He gave me a bunch of sketches, and this was like, a, I thought it was the best looking one. And like, you know, the drums will look in cool. In terms of space, I would, I would see that the drums would look more interesting in front of yeah. the display case. I like the amp, though. That's really good. So I do have to ask, Augstone, is your actual name Aug or is that short for something? It's not short for something, but when I was a baby, I couldn't pronounce my real name. So whenever anyone asked, whenever anyone asked me what my name was, I would look up out of my crib and say, Aug, and it stuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is, that is a great... I couldn't pronounce my name either, but, you know, eventually it was forced onto me. <laughs> I had issues with L's. Okay, what did you say? I, I was just like Maui. Not the W. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had the same issue with my sister whose name is Melissa. And she fucking hated it because she was like strictly business bitch. And I'd call her Missy. And she was like, I will not be seen as that like ditzy cheerleader type. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I suck at else. <laughs> Does your brother start with an M too? Oh, it's going to like blow your mind it always like freaks everybody out but my parents are like crazy and they have five kids i'm the youngest and we're all m names wow yeah that did blow my mind (laughs) ain't that a bitch so anytime something was mailed to m smart there was a lot of confusion and like five of us being like let us see it let us see it and my dad finally being like i will open it Mallory Smart is a good name, though. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, you might be a little too young, but it is in the book where they discuss family ties. I've been asked that before. Are you a fan? (laughs) I haven't actually watched it, but I have asked my parents. I was just like, is that what it is? Because that's more in 1990, so they would have seen it. Oh, yeah. And this is the saddest thing is it's out of baby book. Oh, (laughs) They ran out of M names eventually. All of my siblings have very basic American M names. <laughs> like we have your Michael and your Matts and everything. And then there's badass Mallory over here. Nice. But yeah, I was supposed to have the name. And it's so funny when it comes to like identifying yourself, like when it comes to like, oh, my name is my identity. I was originally supposed to be uh, Mandy. And I can't see myself as that. But now I almost am like, would I have made it work? I don't know. But at that exact moment, my aunt 
had a child and she named her Amanda. Oh, all right. So it became a shit when you find a new name. <laughs> so now I'm Mallory. Nice. Which apparently means dark and unfortunate. Really? Yeah. And that fits. That checks out. <laughs> all right. They don't know that, though. Like, I've told them before, and they're like, I swear to God, we didn't mean this. And it's like, mm, full bullshit. <laughs> it definitely planned my life. It's foreshadowing. Well, in the book, I, they, um, you know, the hangers on to Buttery Cake Ass, you know, the people around the band. Uh, oh, who? No, Davey Down, the bassist, the new bassist, starts talking to the, the two girls about family ties at the diner in one scene. And I talk about them discussing their favorite Mallory moments, which I thought was a cool, you know, alliteration there. But there's one episode where Michael J. Fox's character, Alex P. Keaton, who is like the smart one, the the oldest brother, and he's, you know, he's going to an Ivy League school. Uh, His younger sister, Mallory, takes an IQ test and finds out that she is actually smarter than him. And it's actually a genius level. So like Mallory smart, like immediately reminded me of that. Which I, you know, it might be my my favorite Family Ties episode. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I need to show that one to my family. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually really fun. Uh, when I read the book and everything, I was just like, he's got points right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have another author that, like, you know, I don't know if you know, I'm a publisher too. Yes. I swear yes. to God, I didn't like publish it because the main character's name is Mallory, but I was sure, just like, yeah. this is not in pop culture enough. I really appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> Which might send a subtle message of maybe use the name Mallory. It's nice. <laughs> It'll get you published. <laughs> It'll get you published. It'll get you on a podcast. Who knows? <laughs> Because everywhere else other than Family Ties, I've seen it in like really dark and twisty movies, like Natural Born Killers. Then you have uh, oh. American Horror Story had a Mallory, and then that Sandra Bullock one where you can't look out at the windows. Bird Box. I haven't seen that one. Okay. Yeah, like it's a post-apocalyptic kind of situation where they're invisible monsters, and if you see them, you try and kill yourself. It's very much like the happening mixed with I don't know what else. It's a strange one, but shockingly good. That seems kind of out of character for Sandy B, doesn't it? You know, it really does, but I mean, I feel like, you know, when you consider that she suddenly made that U-turn and did like the blind side and shit, it's like she's just kind of going all over the place. <laughs> But I, I, I highly miss her, like, early career. I was obsessed with Speed. That is actually the very first movie I really remember seeing. Really? Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what year it came out. This is so early fun 90s, for a music pa- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, we've gone everywhere. Oh, 94. Okay, so yeah. I think late? my sister wow. had a VHS, maybe. She had a very huge obsession with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I think a lot of chicks that time did. Oh, yeah, fair enough. She, she even had the cardboard cutout thing, you know, like the life-size thing of oh, Keanu. Yeah. yeah, and he's, like, doing the run like he does away from the bus. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm talking about one of those in my talk as well that um, one of the first times we ever visited one of my favorite record stores Brass City Records and 
Waterbury, Connecticut, which was a huge influence on the record store in the book. Um, I remember it was this derelict old building and you had to like walk up this rickety wooden staircase. And the first time we went, we were like 13 years old. And at the top, as, as soon as we walked in the store, there was a giant cardboard cutout of Iron Maiden's Eddie from the Sanctuary <laughs> cover. And we were just so excited. It was like we had found our place because, you know, we were 13, like it's like 88, 89. Um, there wasn't, we didn't really know much other music <laughs> in suburban Connecticut. You know, it's either what's on the radio or, you know, we would stay up to three in the morning every Saturday to watch Headbangers Ball. We all loved Maiden. You and, know what's uh, like depressing me is I don't think I've seen one of those in forever. I know. <laughs> Probably since the 90s. Like, have they just stopped making cardboard cutouts? Okay, that's I, our next business idea. Yeah, bring them back. Tell your eBay friend. <laughs> yeah. I shudder to think what he would come up with for cardboard cutouts. Like, it's got to be somewhat current, you know, and people could use it maybe on TikTok. Yeah. Or something instead of their green screens. I, I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever tried to do your comedy on TikTok? There is a Young Southpaw, etc. TikTok page that I haven't used in like a year. I put a bunch of stuff on it and I don't know. I just never got into TikTok. Um, yeah. I put like five things on there and then I got bored. I just like scrolling through it. Yeah, like I put a bunch, in, I don't know, it was, it was weird to gauge <laughs> how things were going. I have 11 nieces and nephews, so they just uh, all keep sending me stuff. So right now I'm very heavily stuck on Harry Styles and Taylor Swift TikTok. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's really all I see. And cats, uh, I don't know what that one's about. Cats? Yeah. Just the animal? Yeah, d- just a lot of cute cat things. I think it's because one of my nieces wants to get a cat, and it's like she's too young. And it's like, I, I think this is all cute, but I have one. I learned today that they sent a cat to space in uh, 19, 1963, I think it was. Like, I had never heard of that before, but, like, you know, you know about, um, you know, the Russians sent Leica the dog up. But, uh, I know. They, they sent a feline, which is very cool. <laughs> It's very cool and then really horrible when you think about it. <laughs> it's like you don't feel like I could see it. Like I imagine a cat in a cool like rocket and everything. That's going to be like a badass. Like the, I would make that a book cover right away. Yeah. But yeah, that when you think of the end result, it just makes me think of Honor's bio when we actually had to dissect cats. Oh, you just dissect cats? Yeah. We did frogs, and I, I abstained from that. Just yeah, I principle. wanted to abstain, but it was definitely one of those, like, y- you got to do it. I think only one girl got away from it, and she was just one of those very loud, like, you know those girls who was just like, I have a very strong opinion. Mm-hmm. And I was never very good at pulling that shit off. I would just kind of be like quietly be like, I, I really don't want to do this. And the teacher would be like, tough shit. <laughs> so speaking of outer space, here's a question that I used to ask um, at the end of all my interviews, but um, I would like to hear your answer. If you had stolen a space shuttle for whatever reason you had for doing this and you were flying it directly into the sun, what would you want to be listening to? Oh, that is so fun. Because I feel Thank like you. that's definitely the kind of like... 
question I would ask you, what would I want to be listening to? You know, I feel like you almost have to say something David Bowie, but... Gerard Way answered the same way when I asked him that. <laughs> I, I was actually going to feel like maybe, huh, maybe something like bleachers. I don't know, like something to get you weirdly like euphoric so you forget like that you're about to hit your like untimely end. Yes. <laughs> Just for like, this is really fine. I'm really in the vibe. And then suddenly, you know, you're dead. <laughs> In a blaze of glory. In a blaze of glory. I'll, I'll say space oddity. Yeah, nice. it, it's so okay. generic. Nice. It, it's probably not even what I really would. <laughs> I'm just going to look at my phone really quickly and see like what's on repeat currently. <laughs> we better figure this out soon, you know, in case you ever... I was going to say, are you about to like throw me in this position? <laughs> Jesus. You know what? <laughs> it's it's going to be separate ways, journey. Wow. That's, yeah. That's really good, actually. <laughs> I, I, I like the wow, like, whoa, did not see that coming. <laughs> it's very appropriate. Like, yeah. It's got that sort of tension it in does. that song that, you know, you'd, you'd be feeling at least a bit of tension in such a situation. The next one after that would be Seven Wonders by Fleetwood Mac. So <laughs> let's go separate ways. That feels like it's the proper mood. Nice. What, what, what's your answer to that? I have two that I can't decide between. Um, do you know The Orchids by Psychic TV? Mm-hmm. It's one of the most beautiful songs I know, and it's just so mellow. I think it, it would just like the juxtaposition of listening to this beautiful, soft song. Um, and in the chorus kind of you know, applies in the morning after the night, I fall in love with the light. While, meanwhile, you're going to a giant flaming ball. I I think that would be kind of cool. But also Van Halen has like the right amount of energy <laughs> for that sort of thing. <laughs> I kind of dig it. Now I really do feel like we're about to do this. <laughs> Somebody call up Mr. Twitter, see if he can get us on one of his new SpaceX. <laughs> let, let me finish the book tour first. I mean, I've, I've put a lot in it, but then you know, I'm ready. <laughs> you know what would be really cool is like he shot the Tesla up. So let's ask him to do that so we could like listen to music on that. Do Teslas have good sound systems? They're actually pretty decent. And what I actually really like about it, this is the nerdiest thing. I've only driven them occasionally. Um, do you ever use the service Turo? No, I don't know what that is. You could rent cars, and I just wanted to know what it felt like to be rich for a day. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did a Tesla, and it's one of those things, and it's like, I wish all cars had this. When you hit the brakes, the music is lower. Wow. Yeah. It's so great. So if you're listening to the most embarrassing shit and your windows are open people really don't hear it then it's just like i'm not listening to i kissed a girl no that's not embarrassing okay well when you were like 16 years old and you're jamming to that song (laughs) and youtube is like now just immediately a thing no it's not great have you ever been caught like randomly jamming to a song like that where you're like suddenly embarrassed because you see that like the car next to you sees you doing it? I think all the time is probably the correct answer. But for me, it's also <laughs> like I often think of like what it would be like if I were to suddenly lose control of the car and like smash it up and possibly die. 
if like what what song would you know horrify me to be known is that that was the way I went out. And one day I was listening to Shania Twain's Up. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I wish and I'd I was be like, like man, I feel like a woman. If that happened now, like I don't know, is that really? <laughs> These days, I feel like it would be a compliment to the artists. <laughs> Not that like you know, because it happens every day. Obviously, we're not telling people what they're listening to. You're not like, there was a 12-car pileup. Miley Cyrus has played on three out of 12 of the cars. This is kind of hilarious in a very dark way. Um, I wrote a short story once. Actually, I don't think I ever finished it, but it was about a composer who um, dies and he's listening to um, his own new composition uh, as his car crashes and the detective on the case starts to think, um, I forget what it's called in music when you like hit a note and then like bend it down. Um, he starts to think that maybe this, at this point was when the car impacted and the guy died and that would be like the suicide note. <laughs> and I, so I had this story. What is this, Columbo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had this story in my, um, I had a Word document in my computer just labeled suicide note. <laughs> and my sister found it one day when she was over my house because it was just sitting on my desktop and it made for a very awkward <laughs> conversation. She's like, um, what, what's this? Okay, so here's what you do. You're going to write a story about that interaction, about that story. It's going to be meta as fuck, and you'll like send it, it to me, All and right. I'll publish it <laughs> on my online magazine. Excellent. Because I feel like the explanation is almost far better than the story. Story is interesting, but like I like the awkwardness. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. It's like, what, what is this? <laughs> and there's that dark side of what your name means. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, come on. We've all been caught writing the weirdest thing ever, and someone's just like, I need you to explain why you've been looking up serial killers for four hours. (laughs) So we have a pretty good implication of what the the ballad of buttery cake ass is about. Maybe you should go a little bit more into depth about it. Yeah, because it... it it's the Spice Girls came after <laughs> the book actually takes place. Most of the bands we've named. Um, so the narrator, or so the, the inspiration for the book was when we were 15, my best friend and I used to make up fake bands to ask for at record stores. And still to this day, one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life was hearing him ask one day in 1991 at Cutler's records and tapes in New Haven, Connecticut. He asked the clerk, do you guys have anything by buttery cake ass? And we're both you know, holding in our laughter immediately. And the guy genuinely wanted to be helpful. Um, and he was like, well, is there any particular album you're looking for? And without missing a beat, I immediately replied, live in Hungaria. And the guy looked even more puzzled and said, do you mean live in Hungary? And Brian and I both said, no, it's definitely live in Hungary. <laughs> And as he walked away to go find, you know, check their stock for this album that never existed in the first place, it was like this feeling of utter absurd joy that I've always remembered. Um, so the book, in the book, the narrator and his best friend go on a quest to find this record that Trig, the best friend, has heard of. And no one knows anything about the band. They've never heard of this record. Um, but... As they're searching, which and their quest goes on for years, 
they start to put the pieces together and they meet a couple people who know Buttery Cake Ass. Buttery Cake Ass were banned from the early 80s who made one seven-inch called Formaldehyde Hydro and one album called Live in Hungary. And only 300 copies were ever pressed um, and they're just impossible to find. Uh, but it was a hell of a lot of fun to write, like going into like all... You know, indulging my <laughs> love of making up fake bands and complete with there's a 50 page fake discography at the end that took me an extra month to write after I had finished the main text. Uh, the discography is just their solo projects after the band and of like their producer, other stuff he had done. I would say that might be one of the best like endings of a book I've seen. Oh, thank you. It was so much fun. And like there are now records in there that I really wish existed. <laughs> like I would, I really want to hear uh, the band Clown Damage. And I'm like tempted to write their biography next. I mean, if it makes you feel better, David Lynch has uh, an album called Crazy Clown Time. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. See, it's my job to know the really weird music shit so I actually can interact with you. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Hey, maybe you should, you know, make a whole podcast where you're this fake band and write the songs, do it. I thought about that. And actually, um, the original intention was going to be this was going to be set to music that would be kind of like the music that Buttery Cake Ass made. And um, Bobby Berry, who's in the Puppets, um, he, and, he and I collaborated on a Young Southpaw thing, the first Young Southpaw track set to music it's called Humpty Dumpty in HD. And it came out so well, we talked about doing more together. And I was going to have him do this book, and it was just going to kind of be like, you know, an hour-long story. And then when I started writing it, you know, it's, it would be many, many hours to read. And it just didn't seem feasible. But, uh, yeah, I, I love that idea. It's just I really, really want to know <clears throat> what Live at Bootylicious sounds like. <laughs> I mean, you got to have, like, an audience, clearly, because it's an unofficial bootleg, so. My, uh, Brian Mai's band in high school was called Funkalicious, which I, we loved Parliament and Funkadelic and, like, the Red Hot Chili Peppers back then, mm-hmm. you know, which got us into all that. And I think the name Funkalicious is great, but I don't think us as a bunch of white suburban teenagers in no, the early you can't 90s pull that off. really did it justice. But you know what? I mean, when you actually start thinking about, like, maybe I've seen too many Woodstock 99 documentaries at this point. All the streaming services are competing and making their own. Don't blame me. Blame the capitalistic world that wants to throw that on us. But, I mean, that was the divide, wasn't it? Where it was, like, really weird, like, white boy rap, and then you had, like, the hardcore, like, corn and everything. Yeah. I, I never really got into that. <laughs> very good. I'm very happy to hear that you probably did not go <laughs> to that crazy shit show because I, I judge you a lot. Yeah, as you should. I mean, I have one guest who was on here who was like, I had tickets, I was going to go, and then I saw the line and I turned back. And I was like, okay, I almost kicked you off this podcast. <laughs> okay, um... If this had a legit soundtrack, can you name some songs? I was wondering if I should do this because there, um, there are a bunch of mentions of real bands in the book too. Yeah. Um, 
like there's the whole passage about uh, the Cure's first album inspiring uh, the second song on the album, um, and you know the Cure's first album maybe Grinding Halt would be a good one to choose. Um, Captain Beefheart gets mentioned in it, which uh, I don't know if you've ever heard his "Lick My Decals Off, Baby." <laughs> <laughs> but we bought that record that same day that we asked about Buttery K-Gas, and it is phenomenal. I mean, it's such a strange record. I feel like um, your interaction was seriously like the polar opposite of what High Fidelity is like. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There's no Jack Black to kick your ass out of the store. <laughs> no, they genuinely wanted to help us. <laughs> you like, where? Hunger? Hungry? Okay. But, um... I like this story. It's, it's again, the comedy that day was just, you know, in full effect. I wish I could know like the exact date that this happened, what the arrangement of stars was. And hopefully one day it'll come again. Cause ask someone th- Gen Z, they'll, they'll figure it out. <laughs> we, um, we bought that beef art tape and we listened to it on the way home. This was like a band outing we had for Funkalicious. And we, um, we were having such a great time. But our bass player, Ed, who was driving, and he was the only one who had a license, had a date that night. So, you know, he was going to drop us all off back home, and we flat out refused to get out of his car and somehow struck up this bizarre bargain with him. If he let us do this, we would, you know, let him go on a date and not fuck it up. Can I swear? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Like, um, I give a fuck. You know, not screw it up even further. So when he went to pick up his date, when they walked back to the car and she got in the passenger side door, the three of us, me, Brian, our singer, Rick, were hiding in the back seat underneath a blanket with a boom box and bright bless play on the tape. And the Captain Beefheart song started playing that goes, the clouds are full of wine, not whiskey or rye. And it was the fucking funniest thing. And like, Obviously, Ed could have warned her this was going to happen, like, as he walked her to the car, or, like, she might have seen three heads shaking uncontrollably with laughter underneath the blanket in the backseat. But it was just, it was another just wonderfully absurd moment. See, I, I could understand how you could do the comedy. You got it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is so fantastic. I mean, I feel like we could just do an entire episode of, like, please tell me anecdotes. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you know the um, do you know my other book nick cave's bar no oh well, this was like but i was I, actually looking at it because <laughs> i was on your website like just now oh nice <laughs> well remind me i'll send you one um okay this was a real life uh absurd quest that in um 1998 after i graduated college i was backpacking around europe with one of my best friends and um in barcelona I met this woman named Katie and uh, we were just hanging out on the beach with a bunch of us at the hostel. And at one point I said, Katie, do you like Nick Cave? And she said, man, I'm Australian. I love Nick Cave. He lives in Berlin. He has no, he has a bar in Berlin. You know, I used to always want to go there when I lived there, but I never got around to it. And so armed with this information, (laughs) I flew back to Austin, Massachusetts a couple weeks later and told my best friend Andy about it. who was just as big a Nick Cave fan as I was. And without doing any further research whatsoever, we flew from Boston to Berlin to find this bar. And we thought 
you know, we would just get off the plane and be like, where's Nick Cave's bar? And some would say, oh, it's over there. And we'd go have like the best 10 days of our lives, just, you know, drinking and living it up. But no one had any idea what we were talking about. Not everyone is as big a Nick Cave fan as we were. And like the next 10 days were just pure drunken misery and confusion. And 20 years later, we definitively found out that Nick Cave never owned a bar in Berlin. <laughs> so it was futile from the start. But like looking back on it now, it was such a hilarious, absurd thing to do. <laughs> Those are the best stories to have. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those like, why the hell did you do that? I don't know. It was hilarious. Yeah, and it did make for a great story, you know. I would read later. the hell out of that. <laughs> Thank you. On your website, you say that you're really into organizing your records. What is your method? Do I say that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, combining of absurd love of music. Oh, you, just, you say record collecting. Got it. So how do you organize them? Um, As a very fellow person, I I always wonder because I'm constantly changing it. It's been alphabetical for years, but when I was a teenager, I had my own system, which was just sort of like how I felt about the bands. And it wasn't, I didn't have like a container for them or anything. My sisters were just amazed that they could ask for a CD and I would know exactly where it was when it was just kind of organized by like the Jesus and Mary chain was on top of one pile and Joy Division on top of the other. It had nothing to do with the Jays. It was just simply that these were my favorite bands at the time. I also have one like kind of like pointed out to be like that this is the record of the month. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I do. I attempted to try and do genre for a while. Now it's a bit of a mess. Okay. My books are like how I feel about them. Like I have a bookcase solely dedicated to like Pynchon, Don Levy, Evelyn Waugh, Anthony Burgess. Um, and then another one, which I, it's kind of alphabetical, but they're also just kind of rows of rank, ranked books with how much I like the author. I had a system going on with my book collection but because I'm a publisher who also does the podcasts and everything and I do a lot of reviews I've just given up I just have books everywhere yeah <laughs> like I have like several bookshelves I have books over on my couch I have books in my walk-in closet nice <laughs> just you know find them everywhere pick up a book are you a fast reader yeah pretty That's fast good. Th- that's am- like the sign of like when they would put you in an honors class back in the day. It's always one of my greatest regrets, although I got A's in you know English all along. I didn't get recommended for honors in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's one of the most bullshit things. I was put in honors like when I was in first grade, and then it just started like going further up. And it really was one of those, damn, you could read and comprehend really quickly. And then they totally skip over the basics for you. Mm. <laughs> I'm an editor of a publishing house. And even now I have to like check to be like, punctuation. <laughs> Is this really a word? <laughs> it sounds like one. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like to this day, like I'm not quite sure what you're supposed to do with the semicolon. <laughs> I encountered that this morning. I, I was writing um, you know, a new thing of fiction I'm working on, and like 
I was like, a semicolon would really go here, but does anyone use <laughs> semicolons? Like, would that be out of place in a fictional novel? Like, I can't remember the last time I saw one. I mean, it, it is so... I remember my friend wanted to get a semicolon tattoo because oh. I know that's supposed to be, apparently, and now this is going to like bring this shit to a dark thing, it's supposed <laughs> to be a symbol of I either survived suicide or one of my friend's... Committed yeah. suicide. Oh, I've heard this. Yeah, and it is the only. That's so fucked up. It's the only reason why I know. <laughs> so you think of that every time you see it. I know every time I that's see dark. or think of like, does this need a semicolon? It's just like, it's not the end. It's a pause. Okay. <laughs> and then I just think about dark as shit stuff and be like, I wish I never learned that. <laughs> I always think I could just end it here and <laughs> make another <laughs> sentence, which probably isn't healthy. See, there you go. You, you can't get that as a tattoo. Mm-mm. No. You're just going to get a period. <laughs> and everyone's going to be like, what does this mean? And you're just going to have to come up with like a really bullshit backstory for your tattoo. <laughs> do you have any tattoos? I do not. I could never think of something that I would want on my body permanently. Like, Ooh. Do you? Yeah, I have four. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to take this moment to take a shot at like one of my cousins and one of my nieces. I I am nowhere near like, I, I don't know. I think that generation, they're like, oh, we're allowed to have tattoos in the workplace now. Let's do it. And then they've just gone crazy yeah. with it. <laughs> Whereas I'm just like, I've put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> So what do you got? Uh, I have a heart. I have a compass. I have a Twin Peaks tattoo, which wow. no one is able to guess that it's a Twin Peaks tattoo. <laughs> what is it? Because it's literally uh, just two mountain peaks connected. Oh, okay. oh and, it looks like an M. Yeah, and so it's actually the symbols in the TV show a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the other one's very controversial, so. <laughs> oh, all right. It's a hammer and sickle. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Last podcast, the person was very psyched about it being like, because we were like, are you a Democrat? We're like, yeah, Democrat. And it's like, socialist? Yeah, okay. Communist? Oh, thank God we could say it. Got it. Just, I just tiptoeing a, into it. <laughs> an awesome comic called Slava uh, by this artist I love, Pierre Henry Gaumont. It's right, Henri, because he's French. But his work is just really beautiful, and I'm reviewing it for um, the Comics Journal. And it takes place in, like, the early 90s in that period after communism ended in Russia and before Putin got into power. That sort of, like, you know, (laughs) sort of shift in between the two ideologies that left, like, the people, like, really, you know, wondering what to do. And then all, like, the, you know, people, the users (laughs) who could get in. Have you ever seen the movie Goodbye Lenin? No. I haven't actually, but I'm aware of it. It's definitely kind of along those lines. It's right, um, well, more of the Berlin Wall. Obviously, it takes place in Germany, but it's after the wall falls, and obviously, Berlin is trying to connect with each other. And the one side has no idea, like, they have to, like, change the currency. Like, you don't even consider that. Like, oh, here, yeah. it was like, oh shit, they have to swap out everything. They're changing the entire, like, structure. Of like half the city, but and they can't, you can't even own a bar there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But yeah, no, that's Off very, very interesting. Yeah. No, it, it's really great. And I hate every time anyone asks me who like the star is, I just, I don't know his name, but I know he's the sniper evil Nazi guy in Inglorious Bastards. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, everyone knows what I'm talking about, but it's like, ask me his name. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I knew it once. He's the guy in the Bond film, right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I think Inglourious his first Bast- name is Daniel, but... Hmm. Claire Bass, I, I, this is controversial because, I mean... I mean, I just said I had a hammer and simple tattoo. We're going for controversy here. <laughs> it's not that controversial, but it is... Um, Tarantino, like, I respect what he does. I recognize that it's good. I just don't particularly like a lot of it. <laughs> um, like, people loved Pulp Fiction when it came out, and I thought it was fine, you know, but I didn't really get into it as much as all my friends did. And Glorious Bastards is the one movie I think is really great that I really enjoy watching. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. With Tarantino, I really liked him in high school, and that is, like, the best time I could really say that people like him is, like, high school and maybe early college. Those are your Tarantino years. <laughs> kind of like how they're, like, the college rock bands and shit. But Pulp Fiction I liked for the dialogue, but yeah. I didn't like much else about it. In Glorious Bastards, I liked Brad Pitt's performance. There are some really fun points about it. I'd say Kill Bill. That's my favorite. I've never actually seen Kill Bill. I like Uma Thurman okay. a lot, and she kicked ass. And I like the fact that he wrote it specifically for her for her 30th birthday. And I was like, I wish there was someone that sweet in my life. <laughs> yeah. But when I hit 30, no scripts Dang. came to me. Well, maybe when you're 40. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, 40. I don't know. <laughs> 35? I might not be able to pull off those stunts. Oh, all right. Well, you better start training. <laughs> Uh, can someone please get me a samurai sword? <laughs> Actually, a, a review of Buttery Cake Ass just came out in uh, the Louisville Eccentric Observer, Leo, um, promoting the gig there next Thursday. And he compared the book to an extended Tarantino interview with, um, you know, because of all of the digressions <laughs> and bringing up really <laughs> obscure bands that no one's ever heard of. At first, I was worried that they were going to give it a negative review and be like, this deserves to be like destroyed with a samurai sword. So this is so much better. I mean, if anything's worthy of being destroyed only by a samurai sword, that, that has a certain <laughs> amount of merit to it. I know. It's like, that is like so specific. But no, I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. I, I, I vibe it. But so much better. Don't let Tarantino get hold of this. No. <laughs> Ooh, if someone were to direct this, though, who would you have? That's a good question. I've, I have no idea. <laughs> um, Is it because I told you no Tarantino? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I want Tarantino to direct it now because, you know, it's, it's so violent. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, he said he's only doing ten films, and he already did nine. Oh, you think this is worthy of his tenth his, film? His swan song, probably, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Let's let's get him on board. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Oh. Let's just send it to him. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if like Paul Thomas Anderson would do a good job. 
I love Paul Thomas Anderson, and I was so upset when he didn't get the Oscar, like, last year for Licorice Pizza. That was a damn good movie. (laughs) It was. But, yeah, obviously I think award shows suck these days. Mm. (laughs) They don't seem to mean much anymore. They just kind of go Oprah style and be like, you get an award, you get an award. (laughs) Do you watch the Grammys? I don't, actually. Ooh, I think that's coming up because I know on Twitter everybody keeps saying that Jack Antonoff is going to be sitting next to Taylor Swift, which I don't know why that's like exciting because <laughs> they do everything together. Like they're just kind of twinsing together. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of like another like odd situation is be like, of course they'd sit next to each other, but I don't know. I don't even know, like, what would be big at the Grammys this year. Yeah, I have no idea. Like, what's, or, what's come will out? Will it just be brought to us by Taylor Swift? <laughs> she, she had a lot of stuff that came out. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen her? I saw her once when I was 20 years old. And this is how people should know that I'm not a Swifty, although sometimes people think I am. I don't even know what album came out. <laughs> I think my boyfriend, fiance, whatever you want to call him, man I live with. <laughs> Is this a recent development in the fiance thing? You know, it's so funny. Uh, we're a year and a half, okay. maybe. <laughs> so you should probably get used to saying it. <laughs> used to saying it. It's going to give me a couple of years until I get used to saying husband. <laughs> uh. He's not used to it either. We just call each other by our names and be like, yeah, hey, you. <laughs> But, yeah, he's the Swifty in the household, so he, he would know. I think he's told me it's either Fearless or Speak Now. Whatever album came after that Kanye incident, that's what uh, I remember. Okay. Yeah. And I don't even remember, as I said, like, obviously the hit song, like, You Belong to Me or You Belong With Me. Because isn't that, like, the song that Kanye got pissed at? And be like, Beyonce deserves this. I remember that. I don't remember the specific song. I know it was like an upset when everyone was like, wait, what? Her? (laughs) I I enjoy the song, but yeah. I don't know. Who else did great shit this year? You know, the issue is everyone's doing something great now, not in 2022. Not that I remember. Yeah. Man, I've, what did I? Yeah, I, I meant to make like a top ten list at the end of twenty twenty two, and I just didn't get around to it because I'm not sure I could have named ten records that I really liked. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, they're all obviously going to be much newer bands. Let's do top ten. I, I love Spotify for this shit because <laughs> they always have shit like this. They have the top 100 stream songs in 2022. Okay, so we have a lot of shit I've never heard of. Okay, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> I'll just leave it as that. <laughs> we have The weekend. we have Billie Eilish, I know them. But top 100 songs, uh, Frank Ocean, a lot of Frank Ocean on here. Yeah, so much Frank Ocean. Why, why did he get so much hype? I, I haven't really listened to him. Willow, 
Is it sad that I'm going to guess Willow is Will Smith's daughter, right? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Maybe he's allowed at that award show. <laughs> My favorite song of last year was by, I don't know if you ever heard of a band called Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, she and Hatchie collaborated on a song, which is just like the catchiest thing I've heard in a long time. Um, and like it, it, when I first heard it, I was like, there's no way this didn't come out in 1993 because it just sounds like that sort of, you know, shoegazy kind of, but also like kind of mixed with the Breeders era pop, you know, just awesome female vocals, incredibly catchy. Mm-hmm. And that was like my favorite thing all year. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure I could name nine others. <laughs> <laughs> That's your homework assignment. <laughs> I just like assigning people homework. Okay, so first you have to write the really cool short story, and then you have to give me your favorite songs from 2022. All right. I, it's yeah. doable. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to be like, I'm not wasting my Friday night. What the fuck? <laughs> I, I just had to check what day it was, too. That's where we're at in my life. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I did something fun on a Friday night. Oh, don't you love it when you hit that age? <laughs> like, I, I'm looking forward to watching that uh, Natasha Leon uh, new series. Oh, yeah, the new one. Yeah. It, it's supposed to kind of be like Columbo, but awesome because it's Natasha Leon. Okay. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> I'm hoping. I, I'm hopeful. It has like Chloe Savini and everything, too. I like her. Cool. So what's the most recent concert you've been to? Uh, I saw Fishbone in Hamden, Connecticut, and I had literally not seen them in 30 years, and it was fantastic. Um, I've been very hesitant about going out the past couple years, especially since I did get COVID and it sucked. Uh, But I did go see Fishbone, I think back in September, and they played like everything I wanted to hear pretty much. And the energy was just fantastic. Um, and then I hadn't been to a concert actually since right before lockdown, which is when I saw David Lee Roth opening for Kiss at the Staples Center in LA, which was phenomenal. I'd never seen Kiss before. They're like my favorite band when I was 12. Like, you know, we dressed up as them for Halloween and, you know, had all the records and like, I hadn't listened to them much since, but like, it was such a part of my DNA that as soon as they hit like the opening chord, I immediately knew what song it was. Um, and it was just a fantastic, like my 12 years old self would have been in heaven that night. It was a fantastic show. I didn't want to pay more than 50 bucks for a ticket. <laughs> and I was thinking more like 30. Um, Cause tickets were insane. It was like $900 starting on the floor. And I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> like way up top in the back. I got a ticket for 33. And my best friend got one for like 40 and we just, you know, they weren't near each other, but we ended up sitting next to each other. And like a third of the way into the Kiss uh, set, a lady from the venue came up to the way back and started handing out free tickets because they want to fill in the space in front of Gene because it was empty. And we ended up being in the 12th row. And oh, that's badass. It was so loud. And the pyrotechnics were so hot. I mean, they were hot even sitting up in the way back. Are you at that age where you're starting to do like the earplugs? I've worn earplugs for a good like half my life now just because like I, I played in a lot of bands. I definitely noticed hearing damage setting in. And I remember distinctly like probably 17 or 18 years ago, I was taking a sound recording course 
and the guy was, the teacher was demonstrating octaves to us and he kept like jumping up on the piano. And there was one time he was hitting a key and I, I could not hear it. And like everyone else in the class could. (laughs) And they're like, what do you mean you can't hear that? I was like, what do you mean there's something playing? So like loving listening as I do, I, I try to be careful about that stuff now. In 2019, I told myself that when I hit 30, that I would start wearing earplugs. But I've always been curious, like, could you, do you still like hear really well? These days you can get some good earplugs that you can't even really tell that they're in, but they do. Especially as a girl, I'd be good. <laughs> what? Long hair. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, that other people can't tell that they're in. Yeah. But like, you don't even notice like, any difference to the sound quality. Okay. Um, so that's great. And you just don't have the ringing in your ears afterward. I remember like, you know, early 20s, I had fr- one friend who would actually have like, you know, those like orange industrial looking earplugs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I always talk shit to him, but now I'm just like, maybe I should have. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you saw Kiss though, because that's actually partially one of the inspirations between, uh, behind this podcast. Really? Okay, so I was in Miami doing a book reading with quite a few other authors, and we were hanging, and I won't lie, there were some drugs involved, and, you know, just good time shit. (laughs) I I was in my mid-20s, and I don't know why we decided that, like, you could divide the world into people who loved Kiss or hated Kiss. There was no in-between. So I decided that, like, at the end of every episode, I would ask someone that, but then I started to get such a diverse, uh, you know, guests and everything that I was like, oh, they don't all know Kiss. Oh, wow. That's weird. So where are you landing on this? I'm assuming love. I, I don't know if I would say love. I definitely don't hate them. I have love. I loved them when I was little. Have you read any Chuck Klosterman? Mm-mm. Oh, his, his stuff about just music and pop culture is amazing. And he, is, he has a thing... I forget what site it's on, but he ranks every um, Kiss record, like gives it a grade and gives a little blurb about it. And he talks about how difficult it became to be a Kiss fan after a while because the <laughs> albums just were not good anymore. <laughs> you just want to hear the best of. You want it to be the movie Detroit Rock City. Yeah, I mean, there's some phenomenal stuff in the 70s. And actually, my favorite Kiss song uh, is Tomorrow off the Unmasked album which no one else really thinks much of, but I think it's just a perfect pop song. I'm not even <laughs> sure they ever played it live. I don't think so either. But, but I mean, I love that. I love Shout It Out Loud and, um, you know, Rock and Roll All Night, obviously. Uh, and a bunch of, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fond of Kiss. I, I, it's just weird, like, what a huge phenomenon they became and have continued to be, despite not putting out any good music since, like, 1982. I mean, they had like the lunch boxes, and I think yeah. they even had like a cartoon. Maybe I I don't know. They had a comic book I, with their own blood, which I got see? for Christmas in seventh grade. There you go. <laughs> I had like older siblings and everything who were really into it. I got into it, but yeah. You know, ironically, though, when those people that I did the reading with, when they just came up to Chicago, we went to Reckless Records, and they did not have a single Kiss album. Wow. Yeah, it was so sad. One of my big young Southpaw things is, uh, and there's, I think, a whole story about this, is that when Van Halen came out, uh, you know, Gene Simmons produced an early demo and like wanted to be their manager. Um, 
but he was really angling to get Eddie Van Halen into Kiss to replace Ace Frehley. Mm-hmm. And what really blows my mind is thinking, I mean, this was when the makeup was still going on. What would Eddie Van Halen's makeup have been? <laughs> it's, <laughs> these are the things that keep me awake at night. I, I really enjoy this. <laughs> like, this is really awesome. Thanks. <laughs> like, just, just this is like so much content. Like, throw some future projects at me. Like, what else are you going to do? Like, writing wise please tell me you're going to write about that oh that's that's in a, a story already i not i don't remember the name it's probably just eddie van halen and kiss but it's one of the podcast stories Ooh. and it's a question i would often ask guests like you know what would your uh, when i was doing my podcast what would your kiss makeup be Ooh, that's a hard one <laughs> but there, i do have a bunch there's a bunch of um so i started doing the southpaw stuff with like people giving me music and then I'd write over it. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a, like at least like probably an album and another EP's worth of stories that I'm waiting for music from people to do. Um, shit. <laughs> I don't mean to have a pause in the dialogue, but I don't remember what the names of those are. <laughs> That's okay. But there was, there was just a, an, um, an EP I put out last year called Hopscotch to Heaven. Um, which had uh, Pete Wiggs from Saint Etienne, one of my favorite bands, gave me some music, and I put out a story called uh, "Infinite Shakespeare," which was all about Shakespeare's parents. You know, like mm-hmm. you give if there's a theory if you give you know an infinite amount of monkeys an infinite amount of typewriters, they'll you know write the complete works of Shakespeare. But like, if this is what Shakespeare's parents wanted. <laughs> like was that their kink <laughs> like were they thinking about monkeys and typewriters when they're you know making little william <laughs> like you might have my favorite mind i've ever heard of like fuck being john malkovich <laughs> i want to be augstone oh thank you <laughs> like whatever the hell's going through your mind is amazing <laughs> Okay, so what is the most polarizing band you like? Hmm. Polarizing how? Like that people either love or hate? You know, controversial, maybe. You know, I can't think of a band, but I can think of a theory. <laughs> okay. Um, my friend David Ryder Prangley uh, is a really cool musician in London. Um, and he's played with like Alice Cooper and uh, Adam Ant, a bunch of people like that. And he is just as much as a Van Halen and Kiss fan as I am. Oh, he actually probably loves Kiss even more than I used to. But he has a theory that Van Halen and the Smiths, at their essence, were the same band. <laughs> and this pisses a lot of people off, especially Smiths fans. <laughs> but you have... In each band, you had a guitarist who came along and changed everything, like for their instrument, the way people thought of their instrument. And you have an iconic frontman in each band who is pretty misunderstood. Like, not talking about Morrissey now, but you know, back in the Smiths days, you know, people always associate Morrissey with being very, you know, glum and depressing and melancholy. But if you read a lot of the lyrics, they're actually pretty funny. Mm. Um, and people associate David Lee Roth with being like, you know, the ultimate party animal who's just kind of, you know, vapid, you know, not a lot of content to his lyrics. But if you listen to stuff like Fair Warning, 
it's actually pretty dark and heavy stuff. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> What's the most controversial band you like? Oh, God damn it. I hate it when people turn it back on me. <laughs> a controversial band that I like. You know, it's going to be like something poppy because people are like, you like pop music? But, hmm. Controversial shit. I'm, I'm just going back on my playlist here. <laughs> it's the easiest way to go right here. <laughs> I think a lot of people are weirded out that, like, sometimes I actually really enjoy, like, very, not easy listening, but, all right, uh, I'll just put it out there. I really like Casey and the Sunshine Band. Okay. (laughs) I feel like that's one of those things where people would be like, what? (laughs) They opened for Van Halen on the uh, 2007 reunion tour, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's they're fine with me. I'll say like it's not that bad, but I'm sure like maybe if you say it to certain crowds, they'll either be totally clueless as to who you're talking about, or they'd be like, "What?" Like, yes. Oh. Okay, there's now that I'm getting into it. There's a Canadian band from the late '70s, early '80s that I like um, in a very strange sort of way. Uh, they're called Lime, mm-hmm. and. If you look at their album covers, uh, like if you Google like Lime Three right now, it, they're like trapper keepers, like with like the neon colors, and they have a song called Guilty, which I think is fantastic. The music is great, but overall, it sounds like Joe Cocker singing for New Order, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very hard thing to convince people to listen to. <laughs> but like up in Boston, there was a couple years where that would always get played at parties, and we would always go nuts. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, other ones that, like, might be considered, like, would you consider, like, Rammstein as, like, controversial? Like, I I don't know. I don't know. I I don't particularly like their music, but I do their stage show, I think, (laughs) has a lot to it. I played sports in high school, so we're at practice. We would throw that on a lot. Okay, get you pumped. Yeah. It's so sad. Uh, I I like Cannibal Corpse. I'll say that. I know that, All right. that'll just throw people off. Be like, "What? You, I'm going to a Taylor Swift dance party on Friday, and I also like that." Hey, what are you gonna do? Wow, <laughs> you're a woman of much depth. I, I have a lot of weird music. Uh, Slayer. I really like Slayer. Okay, wow. I, I'm not sure if that's actually controversial. At one point, I really liked Marilyn Manson, but then I kind of gave up on that once I hit like. 16. Okay. <laughs> but now I just kind of, yeah, I listen to everything. As you should. Yeah, I, I feel like you should sample it all. I mean. So you got some of the stuff going on in Ballad of Buttery Cake, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Good. That's good. why I liked it. I was just like, this is a book for me. This is my vibe. Excellent. All right. So I'll ask you one last question, and then you could have a really badass Friday night. Um, doing boring adult stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'll watch my Natasha Leon thing and you'll, who knows? <laughs> I'm going to rehearse for the tour and then oh, I'm going to write my new Substack letter, which will be uh, what I've been listening to this week. <laughs> oh, dude, I saw you at a Substack and I was like, what do people do with that? But that won't be the question. I was going to ask what the most polarizing <laughs> book you enjoy. <laughs> polarizing. Oh, Gravity's Rainbow. Ooh. Um, I love that book. Um, I've read it four times. Oh, I've, listened, I've read it like 
two or three and listen to the audiobook once or twice. Um, but you know, lots of people say it's unreadable. <laughs> um, and it's the only book that has ever made me physically ill. Have you read it? I've heard of it. Okay. Do you know what it's about? Give us a quick rundown. Okay. Thomas Pynchon wrote it, uh, came out in 1973. Um, and it won the Pulitzer Prize, and then that was, it was taken away because it was deemed unreadable. Um, and it is quite dense. The first 180 pages, the first chapter, the part of the section of the book, it's very difficult to get through. But basically it's about um, an American, the tail end of World War II, an American lieutenant, Tyrone Slothrop, is stationed in London. And he has a map um, on his desk, above his desk, that has stars on it, where um, all the dates he's been on in recent weeks. And these, he's being investigated by the um, PSYCOM section of the army because these stars where the, the women he's been out with are corresponding to where the rockets are striking London. So they seem to think there's a correlation between his erection and the bomb attacks. <laughs> and there's a famous scene in it, which is just vile, um, that I actually had to put the book down because I felt physically ill from reading it. Um, but it, the first time I read it, it took me six weeks to read and I was just, you know, it haunted my dreams. It just like captivated me that much. Um, but I know plenty of people who could not get past the first few pages um, or who say that they have no idea what happens in it. I have one friend who won't speak to any of their, her friends for six months after they've read it because that's all anyone ever wants to talk about. (laughs) But I think it's fantastic. Um, My favorite Pynchon, one of my favorite novels is Pynchon's Against the Day, which is another huge one. Gravity's Rainbow is like 785 pages, I think. Mm -hmm. Against the Day is about 1,200, and it's still a sort of epic scope, probably even more so, but it's a lot easier to read. Um, Yeah, it's not the difficult sentences and complex ideas that he presents in Gravity's Rainbow. I like that I immediately just turned back at my bookshelf. I have that. <laughs> I have haven't it. read it. <laughs> nice. It was a thing where my friend and I were out drinking and we saw that, like, it's my favorite bookstore that was across the street. And we we're like, okay, holy shit, let's run across the street. And we were going to do our own book club. And we both bought the same book and wrote random notes in the book for each other. And I don't think either of us read it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But it's here. <laughs> what, what, what's the cover look like? Um, it's just, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, beige? And just says against the day, Thomas Pynchon. Oh, you have a cons- Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what's your favorite cover. bookstore? Nice. Uh, it's Myopic Books in uh, Wicker Park. I recommend anybody who likes books go there. I have no idea how that place is up to building code because they could clearly <laughs> have like built like half levels within the bookstore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's really cool. I love it. Um, it's probably like the first like amazing bookstore I've been to in Chicago. After that, there's another one. It's called Bookman's Corner, but everyone calls it John's Bookstore because literally it's just owned by a guy named John and he's miserable but also funny. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't even have bookshelves. They're just all stacked. <laughs> Excellent. On a good day, you could have a really good conversation with John, but on a bad day, he, he might just, like, throw you out. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So th- those are my bookstores. They, there was one, but um, they totally made it really boring. It was called the Seminary Co-op, and it was in the basement of uh, in the University of Chicago, and it really looked like Hogwarts on top. But they had to give you a map when you went in there because <laughs> it was that easy to get lost wow. in that bookstore. It was really cool. That sounds awesome. Now it's a separate building and looks like borders. I, I don't know. So check out Myopic Books if you're ever in Chicago. Go there. I do want to come out to Chicago. <laughs> or go to John's books and piss him off. <laughs> He's the kind of guy where it's just like, why do you even own this store then? But yeah, I don't know. Have you been to Squeezebox Books and Records in uh, Evanston? It sounds very familiar. He just messaged me today that he's going to carry Ballad of Buttery Cake Ass, so I'm psyched about that. Let's see. Oh, yes, I have. I don't go to Evanston too much. That's where all the college kids, the pretentious ones from Northwestern, hang. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it's But hey, fun, if they want to buy yeah. my book, they're cool with me. <laughs> I, I am curious. Are they going to pick this one up? When you think of, like, the Northwestern kid who's at one of the, like, best universities in the Midwest, are they going to pick up the ballad of Buttery Cake Ass? Well, I mean, I'm trying to get it on the syllabus there, you know. <laughs> I mean, what class would it even be taught in? Because uh, yeah, if you do have a good Catholic writing Catholic. program, that, that, they got that. But are they putting out stuff like the Ballad of Buttery Cake Ass? Who knows? All I know, and this is like the weirdest fun fact about Northwestern, is that I know Harrison Ford went there and he got his degree in philosophy. So maybe you could try and push it as a philosophy book. In a way, it is. Yeah, it's philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, before we go, is there anything else you want to let us know? If you're in Connecticut, I'm doing a reading at Red Scroll Records, it's a fantastic record store on the 26th. March 2nd, I'll be at Stereo Jacks in Boston. Uh, April 2nd, I'll be at Lost City Books in DC and in Baltimore the night before that at a drinking club show. And uh, hopefully filling out some more dates as well in California, New York, at least, which would be great. So if anyone wants to come out and say hello, please do. All right. That was Aug Stone. Buy a copy of his book, The Ballad of Buttery Cake Ass, and try to catch him while he's on tour currently. You can hit him up on Twitter at Aug Stone or his website, augstone.com. And, of course, like everyone else right now, he has a Substack, and you can find the link to it on his Twitter. As always, everything will be spelled in the show notes and links will be shared. Now, if you want to get to know us more, find Textual Healing on Twitter at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, TextualPodcast.com. If you would like to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Check out episodes and keep a lookout for the new ones to come every Saturday. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.